This evening, I want to talk about God's plan for global mission. God's plan for global mission. We read this command in Matthew chapter 8, following the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he sought out his disciples, those disciples who had let him down in his hour of need, he sought them out. And he commissioned them for the purpose of going into the world and proclaiming the gospel. In verse 16, in Matthew 28, we read, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, uh, in the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we see the command of Jesus that he is with us in the purpose of global mission. You know, we hear a lot on the news today on a scientific and political level about global missions, mission to save the planet from lowering the carbon emissions to net zero Indeed, many churches, uh, which I find strange, have signed up for this agenda, this uh, questionable scientific ideology. Now, of course, we are not to pollute the damage. We are stewards on the earth. That's God, God gave us that purpose. However, should this be the church's main mission focus? Sadly, many church leaders who would describe themselves as evangelical, like Wick Warren, Reverend Jim Ball, leader of the Evangelical Climate Initiative, including the International Evangelical Alliance, believe this should be one of the main focuses of the church, saving the planet. Now, understanding one sense the, the concerns about the environment, we all should be, but saving the planet, is it entirely biblical? The scriptures remind us that this world is in decay. That it's winding down because that sin that entered, entered into the world through Adam, it's in subject to frustration, as we read in Romans chapter 8. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24 verse 35 that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We also read in 1 Peter chapter 3 that the present heavens uh, and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. <coughs> Is it therefore foolish, in my opinion, for churches to fully embrace the green agenda whilst neglecting the global mission of God, the spread of the gospel upon the earth? Indeed, Jesus said that this gospel must go to all nations before he returns. So this is, should be one of the church's main priority to, to focus, to win, have that same heart for, of God for global mission. The same command which Jesus left his disciples to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. You see, it's not sufficient to describe a church as being evangelical solely on the soundness of preaching the biblical uh, gospel. But it's also important that we fully embrace mission. Both go hand in hand to proclaim the word of God as we see in this text. 
Jesus gave this command, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that in triunity of, of God, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. So it's a combination of both, that we should preach the fundamental truths of the gospel without compromise, but also not in the four comforts of, of a church building, but to reach out to those who need to hear the gospel. Indeed, the word evangel in the Greek, in the New Testament, actually means to proclaim or herald the good news. The good news, not only uh, starting with the bad news that we're all sinners, that we all deserve God's judgment because we've all broken God's law. But for Christ, we have good news that through faith in him, we may know sins forgiven and eternal life. So what is that global agenda of God? That global agenda is to save a people for himself from sin, uh, this sin-fallen world, to ultimately inherit his salvation, his eternal peace, uh, and to create a new heavens, <coughs> a, new, a new earth. As we uh, see in uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1, 3 and 5, John saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. And then he heard a voice from the throne of God saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying, for the old order of things is passing away. And through the effective call of the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel, God is calling a people to himself to be dwell with God forever. But this present heavens and earth will disappear. It's reserved for judgment for the ungodly. So we see something of God's global plan in that proclamation that Jesus said in John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn us, but to save the world through him. This is the declaration of God's heart. God so loved the world. How did he love the world? By sending his only begotten son into this world to die the most awful death upon the cross, to be that penal sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath against our sin upon him, took, he took it upon himself, so that through faith in him we may know sins forgiven. But it's through the foolishness of preaching the gospel that men and women are saved. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells, gave authority also to his church. First of all to the apostles and then to the church, the whole church of God, to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey everything I command you. That's the purpose of why God has set us in this, this world, to be salt and light. To live out the gospel by the way we live, but also to proclaim it verbally to those who need to hear that gospel. So it's in this context of this gospel mission that Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I am with you always. We often take that verse at the end of Matthew 28 to verse 20. 
uh, as a personal um, promise to each one of us that God will keep us, well, through Christ, that he will enable us to persevere. That's true. But it's in the context of global mission that God will be with us or Christ will be with us to the end of the age in what? The purpose of proclaiming the gospel. So the question we need to ask ourselves, is our heart taken up with this global vision of God? You see, um, there's one uh, person, I think it was John Stott, who said that, that's, yeah, John Stott said in one of his commentaries, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. <coughs> so God's global mission believe it or not, was in his mind even before the world began. Do you realise that? It may surprise you that God in his plan for global mission had a plan in his heart to save a people for himself out of this sinful, fallen world. Well, how do, you, do we know that? Well, if you turn to, well, we don't need to turn to, but if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, when you get home, uh, we see the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says these words that God chose us in him before the what? Before the creation of the world. Uh, To be holy, to be blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now this is staggering. Somehow in God's sovereignty, there's an all-knowing God is omniscient, omnipresent, but he knows everything. He knows everything about what we are thinking at this moment in time. He knows the beginning from the end, and somehow, in his sovereignty, he knew that humanity would fall into sin, that Satan would rebel. But out out of that chaos, he already had in his mind to save a people for himself through the effectual call of the gospel. It's mind-blowing to think of this. You see, if we've come to trust in Jesus as our saviour, if we've repented of our sins and asked him to change our lives, uh, and we've repented of our sins and accepted Jesus Christ as our saviour, then it's no mistake that we belong to him. It's all part of God's plan in calling a people to himself out of this world. But not only that, we see that Jesus... His own heart was for that global mission. In Psalm 40 verse 7, knowing what it would cost to rescue God, to rescue a people for himself out of this sinful world. Jesus said in the Messianic Psalm in Psalm 40, uh, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. (coughs) Then I said, here I am, I have come to do your will. What was that will? Jesus voluntarily, in submission to the Father's will, voluntarily offered his life as a sacrifice, once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he willingly laid down his life to be crushed, to take upon himself, as it says in Isaiah 53, all our transgressions and sins, that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. That was the purpose of the Father, of Jesus, to lay down his life. Even before the creation of the world, he had... It planned to do this. It's staggering when you think about it. And also the father says in another messianic psalm to the son, in that Davidic covenant that God made with David in Psalm 2, 
He's speaking to the son. The father says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. So we see the end of this global vision of God bestowed upon Jesus in Revelation that he would have nations for himself for God's glory. Revelation 7 verse 9. We see the Apostle Paul looking into the distant future. The great multitude from every tribe and nation singing praise to the great triune God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and glory and wisdom and thanks, honour and power to, to our God forever and ever. It's amazing. Now if we've come to trust in faith in the Lord, as we heard yesterday from Professor Andy McIntosh, there's a day coming when we will be in glory singing Zion's song, hymns of worship and joy, singing those very words. If we know Christ, we are involved in that great vision of all nations worshipping and praising God forever. And God will rejoice over his people. So that's the, we see here, the great redemption plan of the Father through his Son being worked out. You see, God, when did God begin to put into action this redemption plan to save a people for himself? Well, we see it at the time, at the greatest need when man fell into sin. Uh, we know about Adam and Eve, for example, how Adam and Eve fell. They were told by God not, not to eat from the tree of life in the middle of the garden. God left them one commandment not to eat of the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil. And yet they fell into sin, didn't they? And, and then we lead, lead to death, judgment, and if, if we don't repent of our sins, eternal separation from God. But I'll praise God that he has a rescue plan. I don't know if you remember, let me try to illustrate this point. Do you, you see sometimes in the United Nations, <coughs> in Britain and Europe, you have specialist trained people who are trained to rescue people in tragic situations. They have specialist engineers, cavers, those who deal with earthquakes, not only just in Britain and Europe, but other countries. And let's say they're trying to help some, some people stuck down in the mind. Or do you remember those 12 boys trapped down in that huge cave in Thailand? These people could not help themselves. They were completely in danger. Uh, trapped, say, for a, um, a earthquake or these boys, example of these boys. They could no way, no way save themselves. <clears throat> they needed outside specialists to come up with an implement, implement a plan after careful thought and consideration. And what an amazing thing it was to see those boys come out alive. Well, God has a plan. You see the serious dis, dis, situation, but God has a plan to save a people for himself. In Isaiah 46, God says, I make known the end from the beginning from the ancient times, what is still to come? What I have said, I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. So what is that plan? It is obviously to save a people of, for himself. You see, there's a, God had a dilemma. You see, the thing is, is that God is just, perfectly just. His justice demands perfect judgment. But on the other hand, part of God's attribute is to show mercy and forgiveness. How does he make a way out 
for sinners like you and me that have broken God's law inwardly and outwardly. The just, his justice demands judgment, eternal separation from God in hell. But God in his mercy is also a God of mercy and forgiveness. Somebody has to pay the penalty which we cannot pay. So Jesus, out of love for you and me, paid that penalty for us upon the cross so that God, judgment and justice is satisfied so that through faith in, in him we may know sins forgiven in eternal life. See, if we go right back to Genesis chapter 3, we see the outworking of that, God's plan being put into practice. When Adam and Eve, when God created them, there was no sin in the world. They walked in fellowship with God in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. They walked, the Lord walked in the cool of the day calling out their names. They had intimate fellowship with God in a special way. Yet because they fell to Satan's temptation to eat of that tree of life, it led to physical decay of the earth which is happening it leads to eternal uh, to physical death it leads to eternal separation and judgment from God yet God said to Satan in the garden in Genesis 3:15 after Satan had deceived Eve that God that he would put enmity between Satan and the woman between uh, his offspring and hers And that he, meaning the Messiah, the coming of the promised Messiah, would crush Satan's head and Satan would bruise his heel. The word uh, enmity here in the Hebrew is called weaba, and it's translated enmity in most English Bibles. It means there will be a hatred between two parties. There will be those parties that will seek to be right and justified with God through faith, a godly offspring that would come out of Eve's uh, and Adam's um, descendants, <coughs> those who will seek in, in repentance to do God's will, and another group which will follow Satan, the father of lies. And there would be a battle between those two conflict. We see it in Abel, don't we, of Cain and Abel. Um, we see the same thing when Noah... Um, God commanded Noah, if he was a person who was seeking after God, and he, God commanded him to build an ark, and that all who entered onto that ark would be saved. He was a preacher of righteousness, as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, but only eight people in all were saved. Then we see the outworking of that process in, from the descendants of Noah with Ab- Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15 and 17, how God spoke to Abram to leave his family to go to the land that he would show him and that he would all nations of the earth will be blessed through his offspring, through his seed. And Abram in faith obeyed the Lord's command and it was credited to him as righteousness. God put it to his account that he was righteous because he obeyed in faith in obedience to that call. Through this seed, through through Eve's seed, would come eventually the Messiah. Because we know that through Isaac, the child of promise, even though Sarah and Abraham were well advanced in years, they bore the child of promise, Isaac. 
And through Isaac, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And that blessing went on to Jacob, who had 12 sons. And God singled out, or Jacob, for the inspiration of the Spirit, the tribe of Judah. That out of Judah would come Shiloh, the Messiah. And then we see God raising up Egypt, uh, sorry, Moses in Egypt to deliver God's children, the descendants of Jacob, out of land of slavery. And then we come to King David, that God chose David, and that through his offspring from the tribe of Judah <coughs> will become the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. And that we also know in the many prophecies of the working out of this great salvation. Over time, in Isaiah 53, we realise that uh, Isaiah reveals to us that he will be, the Messiah will be crushed for our sins on our behalf in order that through him we may know sins forgiven and eternal peace with God. So we see also in Luke's Gospel, as we learnt over Christmas, when the angel Gabriel announced unto Mary that she would conceive a child in her womb for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, that he will be called the Son of the Most High. Again in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, that he will be called Joshua or Jesus. His name means literally that Yahweh is salvation, that he will save his people from their sins, that he came to bring eternal peace between man and God. As we sang in the carol, heart the old angels sing, Born that man that may no more die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to bring them second birth. God worked, as, fulfilled his rescue plan. <coughs> we also believe, see that this rescue plan was not only for, to save a people for himself amongst the Jewish people, but also in Isaiah 42, that God's rescue plan included the Gentile nations, you and me. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, God the Father said to Jesus, Israel's Messiah, I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness and appoint you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. This is God's global vision. It's still in operation. We don't know how long for because... Uh, we know there's a time coming when all the elect uh, that God is going to choose through the preaching of the gospel, the time will come up and then it will be the time of eternal wrath and judgment. So what is our purpose in this global mission? See, God wants to include you in his global mission to spread the gospel to many people uh, in mission. You see, there's always a temptation in the church um, in order to be considered relevant in the age in which we live with the woke agenda, with the carbon mission agenda to solely focus on these things or on a social gospel. You know, it's nothing wrong with having coffee mornings, social clubs, uh, getting involved in social work, but not at the expense of the gospel. I remember when I worked in the Evangelical Anglican Church we saw amazing breakthroughs, see many Iranians come to know the Lord, and we saw uh, wonderful to see many of them come to faith, amazing testimonies. And we saw a significant growth in that area. Well, one of the bishop's wife, he was actually an evangelical bishop, his wife was in an organisation called Restore, and it was Anglican mission thing to help uh, refugees, which was great, it was wonderful, it helped in many different ways practically, and she wanted me to get involved in it. And I said, well, 
are we allowed to share about our faith in that in that organization she said no it's not for proselyting and i said well i can't really get involved why because you see it's avoidance of sharing the gospel it's so important you see social care and all those things are important but the problem is or in the environment but you see not at the expense of the gospel what is the command here to his church Jesus gave he said all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth and go therefore and make disciples of all nations that's God's command I'm not saying those things are intrinsically wrong to help people. Of course we should do, but not at the expense of seeking, uh, actually never engaging people with the gospel. You know, um, also many churches in our day and age have got caught into this global net zero ideology. It's actually led by or initiated by an unelected world, the unelected world health um, world economic forum led by klaus schwab and the most of our governments have signed up but what people don't realize that it will be used to control every aspect of our life through digitalization and so therefore time is short friends our focus should be seeking first the kingdom of god as jesus said seeking to do his will seeking to pray that people may come to know the Lord to have opportunities to share the gospel. I don't know if you know uh, a Canadian professor called Dr. Jordan Peterson of the University of Toronto. Please pray for him because he seems to be very close to coming to know the Lord. This is what he said about the woke agenda, the global um, net zero issue to the church. And he's not even a Christian yet. He says, quit striving for social justice, quit fighting to save the planet, attend to some souls. This is your duty. That's a non-Christian saying that. The duty of the church is to attend to some souls. That was a commandment that Jesus left to his disciples. To concentrate on attending to those lost souls. Now, you may be thinking, how, does God, how, will God, how can God use you and me? In that purpose, we may feel inadequate uh, to be involved in such a, a huge uh, situation. But I want to bring some encourage to you, encouragement to you. I always like this one because do you remember in Numbers, in the Numbers, it talks about uh, Balaam and his donkey. I always use it when you start to feel inadequate about yourself because if God can use Balaam's donkey to speak through, surely he can use you to share the gospel to others. In actual fact, the disciples, these 11 disciples who met him near that mountain before Jesus ascended on, on high, <coughs> they were the de- very disciples that Jesus uh, uh, called to serve him to make fishers of men. They were ordinary people, f- tax collectors, fishermen. Only the Apostle Paul was a theologian. These were the very disciples that uh, let him down in his hour of need. Yet after the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead, who did Jesus sort out? These very disciples. Surely that's an encouragement to us. That God wants to use us, even with all our faults, all our weaknesses, to share something of our faith with others. Now we, on a physical level, we may not... um, 
feel and health-wise able to do this. I can understand that. But you certainly can pray. How often do we pray for the nations of this world? Uh, At one time, me and a friend, we used to pray on a big map for Afghanistan, Iran, many nations. We used to pray every single day for those nations that God will pour out his spirit upon them. We can pray for missionaries that we know. We We can pray and intercede for those who are lost. God wants to use prayer warriors for that purpose. We can pray how we need revival to pour out our hearts to God, that God will move by the power of his spirit, that as, he's, as he promises in Joel 3, that in the last days he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. We can pray. You know, in the last church where well, I was in Birmingham, <coughs> the Evangelical Anglican Church, there was a lovely Afro-Caribbean lady called Dorothy, uh, sorry, Doreen Sharif, And she made it her point to pray for me and Ella every single day. She still does. What a woman she is. A great woman of prayer. A real intercessor. In Ephesians chapter 6, the evangelist Paul, the Apostle Paul, requested the church in Ephesus to pray that he will be enabled with the power of the Holy Spirit to declare the gospel more effectively. It's important to pray for the pastors, for the evangelists, for teachers, that the word of God may be more effective, that we may proclaim the word of God more effectively for the power of the Spirit. That's one area we can work at. There's also Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he, um, for more laborers to be sent out into the mission field. Not called according to our understanding, but according to his God can use anybody and raise anybody up for this purpose. So it's important that we pray. He also commanded us to pray, let uh, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing is the importance of partnerships. The gospel partnerships. If Paul in, a, in Philippians chapter 1 Verses 3 to 4, thank the church in Philippi not only for their prayers, but also partnering with him in the gospel. So concerned were they for him that they sent Epaphroditus, one of their numbers, to him, to help him and support him, uh, (coughs) both financially and physical, uh, for encouragement. Another another point I want to bring across is, maybe God wants to use you in some way in this church to reach out to the people in this area. God can do amazing things for you, whether whether how young we are or how old we are. He wants to use you. Do you remember on that advertisement that used to be for the the National Lottery, used to have this finger, it's you. Do you remember that one ages ago? God wants to put his finger upon you or me and knock on the door of hearts. Do you have the same heart that I have? To go to maybe that homeless person on the street. To go into, say, to make inquiries in an old people's home. To try and get the gospel in there. To go to the people in Pearson Park on a regular basis. Uh, To get involved in some sort of, I don't know, for example, um, a second-hand shop. Volunteer there in order to build a friendship with somebody to share the gospel. There's endless limits. You see, if we don't step out in faith, the doors don't open. Do we share the same heart of God? In Isaiah 6, 
verse 8 and 9, God asked the question from his holy throne, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Isaiah responded in faith and obedience to the call, God's call by sending, here I am, send me. The point is that God wants to use us to go to the people of this community, to share the gospel in many ways in, with our neighbours. I know many of you are already doing that and I want to encourage you to continue. We are to, as, as Paul gave instruction to Timothy, we are to preach the gospel and declare the gospel in season when it's popular and when it's not popular. That's our duty. So in conclusion then, as the late great China in the missionary stated Hudson Taylor, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Another missionary said, and this is really interesting, his comment here, the spirit of Christ is in the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to God, the more intensely missionary-minded we will become. What an incredible statement that is. The more, in, more closer that we are to God, the more we share in the mission heart of God. What is that mission uh, heart of God? Is to share his love to others that they may know his salvation. God wants to use you and me. I don't know why he wants to use us, but he wants to use you and me. The nearer we get to God, the more intensely missionary we become. May the Lord once again help us to grasp and fulfil his plan for global mission. May the Lord help us in that task. Amen.